In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Last month, it was my turn to lead the evening devotion at the beginning of our diocesan council meeting. So in preparation for that, I picked out a, a piece of scripture that I thought we would read together. And then I thought it would be interesting for us to spend just a little time in groups of twos or threes talking about the question, were you a blessing in someone's life today or in the last couple of days, or was someone else in a, bless, a blessing to you in your life? So we did that, and I recall thinking back on it that my particular response to the question wasn't very good. I hadn't obviously prepared very well. I had a, a really a tepid response to the question. And anyway, we went on with our meeting. The meeting ended about nine o'clock. And then after, you know, chatting afterwards, making my way out of the diocesan offices and there in front of the cathedral, you know, right across the street is the entrance to the uh, to the uh, Park Street tea station. So I went down those long steps to the tea station, got to the bottom, really in the middle of that landing. And this uh, subway worker came over to me and he said, Father, would you pray for me? And we're standing in the middle of the entrance to the tea station. So I put my hands on his shoulders and I leaned over and he said some things to me he wanted prayer for. I think there were other things he didn't tell me that he wanted prayer for. And we prayed together. And then uh, as we ended, he thanked me and I went on my way. I got on the, uh, the tea and on the way out to Alewife, I thought about this experience and was reflecting on how it made me feel. I realized that uh, it was a wonderful blessing to me. It was uh, in some way him asking me to stop and share a bit of my life with him in that moment was really wonderful. And I also realized that to many people at 9.15 in the evening, downtown Boston, seeing a, an obviously middle-class suburban gray-haired priest praying with a subway worker in the middle of the train station probably seemed rather strange but then again you can see anything in downtown Boston but then I thought there was something else that had happened to me as I was praying with him as the two of us really were praying together in that moment the kingdom of God was truly present and I had been pulled into it it was nothing that I had planned. It was nothing that I had thought about ahead of time, had prayed for or expected. And I'm sure that the, the same is true for the man that I was praying with. In that moment, the kingdom of God was present. And I had been pulled out of a place where I was comfortable and brought into a place where I was a bit uncomfortable. But where I knew the presence of God was palpable. I believe that that is what this parable of the Good Samaritan is trying to communicate to us and what Jesus tried to communicate to, do, to those with whom he was speaking in the first century. I believe that one of the hardest things for us to understand is how to experience and how to know how the kingdom of God can become present in our midst. But I think this parable gives us a glimpse of that and some clues as to how it can happen. To unravel it, uh, we must first know the main characters. Luke describes the questioner as a lawyer. He probably was a scribe. He was one of those who was an authority on the law, on Jewish law, and, and an authority on Torah. And he's described as young, so one can guess that 
he may have been a bit brash as he approached the teacher to see if he could catch him up a bit. And perhaps he had even been asked to go out and see if he could trip up this Jesus who was causing trouble. And then, of course, there's the victim himself. Uh, We can assume, I believe, that he was Jewish, a man on his way from uh, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho on a road that was notoriously dangerous for uh, robberies. People uh, were really taking their hands in their lives as they traveled on that road, and to some extent, even as they travel on that road today. And then, of course, there are the priests and the Levites. We have heard the, the parable of the Good Samaritan preached to us so many times in terms of, and appropriately so, I think, in terms of social action, the need to return, to to do good works like the Good Samaritan did, that we often see the priest and the Levite as scoundrels. But in fact, Jesus does not portray them that way. And one of the problems we have in, in seeing how they might have been understood in the first century is that we're so far removed from it and so far removed from that culture. But if you'll think for a moment that a priest and a Levite were born into that uh, occupation, into that uh, calling, it wasn't something that they prayed about and had a discernment committee about and eventually went off and took holy orders. So it was something they were born into. It was understood that it was a part of who they were, their very being. And these two were probably understood by those who listened to the parable as uh, people who were on their way to Jerusalem in order to fulfill their God-given responsibility as a priest and a Levite to do their duty in the temple. And anything that might deter them from that would be failing in their faithfulness to live out what it is to be a priest or a Levite. So when people heard the parable and, and heard that the priest and the Levite walked by on the other side, They would understand, oh, yes, this man looked like he was dead. They would not want to touch him because if they touched him, then they could not fulfill their responsibility. So I think we must keep that in the back of our minds as we think about that parable and about what Jesus was perhaps trying to tell the young scribe and us. And then, of course, there is the Samaritan, the one who is the hero in Jesus parable. The idea of being a good Samaritan is so much a part of our culture that we we refer to anyone who does good as possibly as a good Samaritan. But in the culture of Jesus' day, the idea of saying good and Samaritan in the same sentence was such an oxymoron. It was as, as bad as saying military intelligence or legal brief. It was impossible. You couldn't have the two together, good and Samaritan. The Samaritans were those who were from that part of of the land that was north of Jerusalem, the land of Samaria. And they were separated from other Jews because their practice was different and their interpretation of scripture was different. These were the people who had intermarried with, uh, with foreigners. They are the people who said that we should not worship at the uh, Holy Mount in Jerusalem, but at Mount Gerizim, which is close to uh, today, what we know today as Nablus. They are the ones who were looked upon by other Jews as having spoiled the race, having spoiled the the tradition, and as being the scum of the earth. Now, those of us who uh, know anything about the Christian faith know that even we can get into situations where we become denominationally split to the point 
where we look upon others perhaps as unworthy. And then if you think about the split that exists among Muslims between uh, Shiites and Sunnis, it is perhaps very similar, the kind of uh, tension that existed between those people who lived in Samaria and the ones who worshipped in Jerusalem. For first century Jews, the perspective of hearing this parable would have been very different from ours. And I think it's so important that we keep that in mind as we think about what Jesus said. I think there's little doubt that Jesus was trying to shock this young scribe a little bit by making the hero of the story, the Samaritan, and to try to open his eyes, to get him to look beyond that straitjacket of religion that he was working within, to be able to see beyond perhaps every dot and tittle of the law, and to see a possibility of something greater, to see the possibility of the kingdom of God. The question that we often focus on is, who is my neighbor? But I think we need to keep in mind that the, this passage from Luke opens and ends with a question of law. Listen to it one more time, the beginning. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? After all, this guy is an authority in the law. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, the question the scribe is asking, we have to, again, put in the context of first century Judaism. If you understand your community to be very clearly bounded, that certain people are a part of that community, the covenant community of God, and others are not. Others like Gentiles, like you and me, are not a part of that community. Therefore, not worthy of the kind of mercy that would be shown toward another person in the community. Perhaps not worthy of God's grace. So the question he seems to be asking is, who is it? who is a part of this covenant community of God. Now, this was an old question in Judaism. It is one that had come up over and over again. And here he is, this brash young scribe, bringing it up to Jesus. Tell me, teacher, who do you think is a part of God's covenant community? Then Jesus tells the parable. And then he does something that I think is what really transforms this young scribe. Jesus asks a question of him that puts the young man in the position of the one in the ditch. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And immediately the young man had to think of the vulnerability of this person that was in the ditch, the desperate situation the person was in, being naked not being able to identify himself by class or by religion or who he was. He was utterly desperate. And I could gather, if we could have been there, I think we would have seen that moment of realization come across the young scribe's face as he realized that he too would have been willing to accept the mercy of even a Samaritan. And perhaps perhaps even be willing to extend that mercy back to that Samaritan, 
perhaps the kingdom of God is bigger than I can imagine. Perhaps the kingdom of God is more than I have drawn out in this circumscribed circle around me. Perhaps the kingdom of God is much larger. I believe that Jesus didn't want to just shock this young man. I think Jesus wanted to show him what the kingdom of God could be like. I think he wanted to open to him possibilities that were far beyond anything he had imagined. I think it's also interesting that in having two of the characters be religious authorities, be a priest and a Levite, that Jesus, once again, is perhaps poking a stick in the eye of organized religion, especially religion at that time. I think it is healthy for all of us to be a bit skeptical of organized religion. We as human beings just seem compelled to organize things around anything. You know, we can't, we, we can't have a potluck without having it very you know, organized to the last detail. And that's the way the church is as well. But we must never forget that the church is the body of Christ. It is a living thing. It has flesh and blood. It breathes. It reaches out with compassion. And the church must never, ever close itself off to the vision that Jesus had of the kingdom of God. Because whenever we start to say that our doctrine, our way of worshiping, our way of being Christian, our way of being a responsible religious person in the world is so much better. It is so perfect, in fact, that you cannot be a religious person. You cannot be a Christian unless you practice and believe as we do. Then we have left the way of Jesus and we have closed the door. I believe that Jesus over and over and over again called the people of his day and calls us to see that he has answered the question, who is in and who is out once and for all, because all are welcome. All can enter in. All are welcome to be in God's covenant community. I pray that we as a church, as a denomination, as Trinity Church, never lose sight of the fact that all are welcome here because God seeks every soul, wants friendship relationship with every soul. And I believe that that's what Jesus was showing the young scribe that day when he told him about the man in the ditch and the Samaritan that scum of the earth who is willing to offer mercy. May God always keep us open, open to the surprises that God has to offer us that draw us into the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.